God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey, everybody. This is Jason. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm really grateful that you're here. Hey, are you deconstructing or reconstructing your faith? Do you feel like you're on that journey completely alone? I hear from listeners all the time about what a lonely journey they're on. They feel like nobody near them can understand what they're going through. I'm excited to tell you about a brand new course that we've just developed called Navigating Your Spiritual Evolution. Registration has just opened up for this brand new online course. Uh, Let me tell you about it. We're going to talk about the true origins of deconstruction. Where did your deconstruction actually begin? Usually it's not where we think. Secondly, we're going to talk about why we have to tear down in order to rebuild. We're going to talk about how contemplation can help you see a bigger picture of God, yourself, and everyone around you. We're going to talk about reconstructing in a way that isn't just laying another toxic foundation of certainty on top of the old one. We're going to talk about finding community that won't forsake you after you no longer agree with them on spiritual things. We're going to talk about living a love-centered life and the forgotten goal that we're really all working toward. And it may not be what you think. I'm really excited to say that we've made this course super affordable at just $79. But if you're already our patron on Patreon, at the $5 or $10 level, you automatically get a $30 discount and you'll get it for the price of $49. Patrons at the level of $20 per month or higher on Patreon get access to this course at no additional cost. And I'm really excited to say that if you cannot afford the cost of this course, please do not let money stand in the way. Let me know. We have a limited number of scholarships available for each session that we offer the course. Here's what the course includes. Two eBooks that have been specifically selected to help you understand the journey you're on and why. Six weekly video lessons, six weekly group Zoom sessions, a one-on-one Zoom meeting with me to discuss your personal journey and what lies ahead for you, and a special members-only Facebook group where you and I will discuss all that we're experiencing as we navigate this road together. I hope you'll register for this course. We've only got a couple of weeks to get registrations in by July 21st. We'll kick it off around the 1st of August. Register today on our website at messyspirituality.org. There are only 12 spots in the first round for this course. So I hope you'll register soon. I'm really excited to take this journey with you. And I hope that you'll join me for navigating your spiritual evolution. Chris Aker is a husband, father, former engineer, academic librarian, musician, and spiritual direction who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. He graduated from Georgia Tech in 2000 with a degree in civil engineering and in 2013 from the University of Tennessee with a degree in information sciences. He received his certificate in spiritual direction from Richmond Graduate University in May of 2020 and now offers a contemplative and reflective style of spiritual direction in Knoxville and virtually. His own spiritual formation has been guided by contemplative prayer practices, journaling, 
and silent retreats, and they formed the foundation of his ministry of spiritual direction through Stepping Stones Life Ministries. Welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast, Chris Aker. Hello, Jason. Thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm very glad to be here to talk to you. Well, Chris, we've been friends online for a while. Uh, we've had some Zoom sessions and hung out a little bit. I'm really excited to help unpack your story for our listeners today. I, I think that there's a lot that people are going to find resonating in their own stories today. So let's dive right in. Tell us about your own faith journey. How did that start? Did you grow up in church? I did. I like to use the phrase that I've been in church since nine months before I was born. <laughs> I grew up in the, yeah, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, which was an interesting dichotomy because, you know, I was an evangelical Protestant in the Baptist Church living in a predominantly Catholic culture of South Louisiana. And living in that kind of, in that culture was really interesting. It just, you know, you could see the, the differences in Catholicism and Protestantism. But of course, in that area of the country, Catholicism is mostly just cultural. Most people are not really practicing Catholics. But I've, you know, I've since learned to really love the depth of spirituality that uh, comes out of Catholicism. I was saved in the Baptist understanding of the Word in 1987 at Vacation Bible School. I was 10 years old at the time. Then yeah, I was I was in that Southern Baptist church and then that world until I went to college at Georgia Tech. When I went into, uh, I guess I got involved in a, a non-denominational ministry there. But then I was introduced to Reformed theology, and I dove headfirst into Calvinism and Reformed theology. As is usually the case, I became your stereotypical, mean-spirited, arrogant, know-it-all Calvinist. And that was in the late 1990s. I'm really, really sorry about that time of my life, but that was still formational for me. And then in the early 2000s, I began sensing a call to some form of ministry. I didn't know what it would take or what kind of what form it would take or what it would look like, but I did sense that it was some kind of uh, form of teaching or pastoral type ministry. And because of that call or sense of a call, I, I I've entered seminary three different times to three different seminaries, uh, trying to uh, pursue degrees in what I thought might be the call that God was uh, leading me to. So I think I, I tried out biblical counseling, Christian education, and some other things, but none of it really felt right to me. So I never got very far in those seminaries. Let's see, sometime around uh, 2007, I was attending another Southern Baptist church in Georgia at the time where we had uh, moved in the er to the early 90s. And... Um, I was in the band there. I was, I was a, it was a typical mega church. I played keyboards there. It was a wonderful time. My memories of being in that band bring back such really great feelings, good positive feelings and memories. Then, uh, you know, things started happening at the church. Things started happening in my job. And I started to kind of put my feelers out to see maybe I could find another job somewhere in another city just to kind of move on. I put resumes out across the country and, and never really, never got any traction. Um, this this was around 2008. Uh, I was a civil engineer at the time and had been for about eight years. Finally, I, I, I got a call from a, a, a recruiter looking for someone to fill a position in Knoxville. And it's just like one of those, you know, things where the doors just open. I received a call from her, I think, on a Thursday. I was called in for the interview. I drove to Knoxville on the following Monday, was offered the job on Tuesday and accepted it. And then I moved to Tennessee in September of 2008. I kind of 
I took the easy way out instead of trying to find a different kind of faith community that, that I felt a little bit more comfortable with. I dove straight into the Baptist world again, into a mega church. Then I, I later met the lady who would become my wife, and she was a member of a small house church here in Knoxville. And I guess we'll get into it a little bit later about my faith transitions, but I had been feeling a call to something more intimate and family-oriented and, and small. And when I met her, she was a part of this house church, and I realized that this this is really kind of what I've been looking for. We got married, and uh, we were in that house church for about eight years. And then the pastor began showing signs of, of mental declines, uh, dementia. And we had a series of hard discussions there at that church and realized that I think that you know, this little house church, uh, it had been going on for about 20 years at the time, had really served its purpose. And it was time for us to kind of disband amicably and for us all to move on. So uh, we did that. And I, at the time, didn't really want to do anything. I just wanted to kind of sit home and rest for a while. But my wife was insistent on looking for something. So she had been exposed to the Anglican church a little bit in her past. Um, so we visited one here in Knoxville, not far from our house. At first, I was a little hesitant. I didn't know anything about Anglicanism. But uh, once we started attending regularly, uh, this would have been early 2017 or 18. I think it was 18, 2018. Things really began to um, to click. I mean, I, I really loved the liturgy. I loved the people there. I, I would often be brought to tears during the liturgy because it was so beautiful. So, you know, that, that, that time at the Anglican Church, while really, really good, really only lasted about two and a half years. And then things start to happen that we can talk about later. Well, I'm looking forward to diving into all of that. Before we do, let's talk about the God you grew up believing in, first in the Southern Baptist Church and then as a Calvinist. What, how would you describe the God that you believed in during that season? Well, uh, growing up in, in the Southern Baptist Church, um, I, can, I can say pretty certainly that I never heard hellfire and brimstone sermons from the pulpit uh, where the pastor is just railing against sin and, and talking about God's wrath. It was never something that I heard very much of, but but looking back, it was something that we that you picked up on somehow through just the, the way the sermons were put together and then the Sunday school classes and you just you just kind of built this idea of God, that a God who was out there, distant from you, um, really kind of watching, making sure everything is copacetic and that you're not stepping offline, um, that you're, you know, you have to make sure that you pray regularly so that you stay within God's will. You need to make sure you have your daily quiet time, read the Bible. You need to, you need to do that every day and you need to do it seriously. And, and when I grew up, uh, in, when I was in the elementary years through middle school, I was in the Bible drill team at my church, and I was good. I could find those verses in just you know seconds, and I won awards for that. It's funny that now I'm now 42 years old. I cannot remember the address of a Bible verse to save my life. <laughs> that stuff starts slipping away at some age, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, yeah. And so you know, I can I can say maybe that verse is in the Book of John, but I could not tell you any any more about where to find it. So, you know, that was the kind of the God that I, I had. It wasn't a very personal God. It was just 
out there. And then Jesus was this other entity that, you know, was always talked about as well. And Jesus was kind of supposed to be your friend. And he was the guy that was kind of keeping you from God's anger, from God's bad side. So kind of the benevolent older brother who got between you and the abusive parent? Exactly, yeah. Although I never really, I never was fearful as in the scared term uh, of God. I just knew that God was was not one of those very personal lovey-dovey type persons uh, in your life. Now, my, my own father, looking back, he was he was a very good father, but he was also not very affectionate. He didn't always come and, and give me hugs or say he loved me, although I always knew he did. And so I kind of wonder if, you know, there's a little connection there between my own earthly father and what I kind of viewed God as. But then later when I learned about the God of Reformed theology, and then I really, I learned about God's wrath. You know, you learn about God's wrath and how he's always just kind of looking for what you're doing wrong so that he can smite you or, or you know, make things happen badly in your life to teach you a lesson or to, um, you know, just kind of put you back in on the path that he wants you to be on. So, you know, that that angry God, the, and then the idea of predestination, I just kind of latched hold of that because obviously I was part of that predestined group, so I felt good about myself. And then that kind of made me start feeling superior to others and, and realizing that, you know, if I'm chosen, so I must have done something right. But then obviously I learned in, in, in Reformed theology that that is not true. You didn't really do anything right. It's just God decided to pick you at random. So, you know, there this it just didn't really it it sit well with me at the time for some reason because I kind of I, I just wanted to be that I was projecting my own human morals onto God I wanted to be superior I wanted to be part of the chosen and I wanted to look down on others so that's how I looked at God at the time did the transition to Calvinism was that did that feel like a rebellion against your Southern Baptist season or did it feel like a continuation? Like a deepening. Yeah, just a continuation. And it was, I was just learning more about kind of the God that, that I'm not sure if, if Southern Baptists believe that now anymore, but I have been out of that world for so long that I don't even know. But I think that, you know, many Southern Baptists would probably say that, that no, uh, God does not just randomly pick people. I mean, it, it, I think they're probably more on the Arminian side saying that you have, you have a choice and you can, you can choose your salvation and you can decide whether or not you're going to follow God or not. But at the same time, the, the Southern Baptist is my upbringing as well. So it felt like while they did absolutely take the Arminian stand of whosoever will can come, at the same time, they were constantly saying God is in control. And, and so there was some shadowing of, you know, election or predestination because God was in control of it all. And God knows ahead of time who's going to choose and who isn't. And so he doesn't even call those who won't come. You know, I mean, we do some uh, verbal gymnastics to get there. Yeah, exactly. So at what point did you start to question your faith, the faith of your upbringing, that angry God, the predestination? At what point did you start to wonder if that was really the reality or not? It started... Uh, around 2007. And what had really kind of uh, precipitated this this questioning process was, I mentioned I was in the band at this uh, church in Georgia, and the music minister, band leader, 
he left to go to seminary to finish his degree. And the leadership of the church asked me to take over as the leader to kind of, you know, keep kind of be a stopgap measure until they found, found someone else. I reluctantly agreed to do that. It wasn't really something I thought I was very good at. I certainly wasn't passionate about it, but I did it. And stepping in to kind of behind the curtain, as you know, as they say, you kind of start to see how the sausage was made and, and you don't really like what you see. And, and so I started getting really disillusioned with um, institutional church overall. And I began, I don't know if it's really, if it's if it's the Spirit of God leading you to, to read these things about things that He is, uh, or that the Spirit is, is leading you towards, or if you just start you start really trying to find something just to help make sense of this. But I think it's probably a, a mixture of both. But I started reading books by Wayne Jacobson, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore, that kind of a book like that, and uh, John Zinn's. I love that book. Yeah. Um, and so the it was really the institutional church that started getting me angry. And I wanted to, I wanted that smaller, intimate, you know, church that was a little bit or a lot closer to what you read about in Acts. And so later when I met my wife and saw that she was going to a house church, I thought, wow, this is a really great opportunity. And so it was, and, and that house church was amazing opportunity. It was amazing eight years, probably the best experience I've, I've had related to a church. So that was kind of the first domino to fall, the institutional church, and then later the, the dichotomy between clergy and laity. I realized it's not it's not biblical i don't it's it's not helpful uh in fact i think it's even to a degree detrimental to the the christian formation and spiritual growth of the people of god and so i began to really question that and then sometime around 2016 17 time frame i came across a book by an author named uh julie forwarda who wrote a book called raising hell and that book is what really helped to uh, dismantle the idea of eternal conscious torment in, in hell and the fact that we will all be saved in the end. And so that was kind of that process started around 2017. Your transition from house church to the Anglican church is fascinating to me. Did when you came when you went to the Anglican Church and you said that you just fell in love with the liturgy? What did that feel like to you? Did you did you feel like you were walking away from that season where you were craving a more simple faith? It seems like the liturgy is kind of dependent on the clergy laity mindset. Did did that make sense for you in that season? I was completely caught off guard by it, Jason. I did not want to go to another church, like I mentioned. I wanted to just have a season of rest, and so I was. At first, hesitant and, and resistant to going to the Anglican Church, I didn't know anything about what Anglicanism was. Uh, I kind of had a, this idea that it was, you know, was somehow related to the Episcopal Church, at the, which at the time I wasn't very fond of, of what they had been doing. I've since grown and and, and evolved uh, from that. But when you say you were not very fond of what they had been doing, was this the LGBT rights issue? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, you know, it was. The, Ang- the Anglican, well, I, I won't get into that now, but, you know, I, di- I wasn't happy with the way they were working with our, you know, ordaining gay bishops and things like that at the time. And, you know, this was only like three or four years ago. So, you know, you can see that I have made quite a rapid transition even in, in those few years. But, but it was very surprising to me that the liturgy 
gripped me as 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 strongly as it did i would i would sometimes be in tears because of just the the when you start going through these motions physical like with your body and you start saying these words something happens and i don't i can't explain it and even now i even though we've had a falling out with that church i still feel like there's there's really something there in in i don't know how to explain it but there's something that happens when you you do these motions and you say these words together um, so it was it really caught me by surprise i mean i even i even considered becoming a priest which also caught me by surprise because i didn't think that was even biblical and i and i'm still trying to work through what that feeling was all about because i know that it wasn't to really become a priest because i don't i don't agree with it but there was something that was drawing me into something, and I don't know what it was. But I'm still kind of work through trying to work through that. So I know in the last few years you've had a real spiritual evolution away from some of the more conservative mindsets that you had lived with previously. Um, how did you get from there to where you are today? How did how did that evolution take place so quickly in your life? It seemed like it, it started slow. Um, you know, around 2007 is when I started to question the idea of the institutional church and the kind of the corporate mindset of, of church. And then it was, you know, a few years later, I finally decided I'm, I'm going to, I can't deal with the the predestination and the angry God thing. Uh, and this house church was really instrumental in that because it really, I learned about a very personal God and I learned about uh, listening to the Holy Spirit and actually hearing. I had never experienced that before. And then eight years at this house church where we learned to pray and listen to God. I guess that was kind of the, the soil that uh, in which the later questioning took root. And the first, the first idea to fall was, was hell really. I mean, uh, after, you know, after the institutional church and then the clergy idea, but hell was a really big giant topic and a really big thing to, to fall. It was, it was a big deal to finally, come to a place where I could admit, okay, this is not right. Even though I've been taught about it all my life, there's there's nothing in the Bible to 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 support this idea that I've been taught about all my life that we will that some people or the vast majority of humanity really will go to hell and roast forever. And and I think once it was once it was hell that that fell, it was kind of a, you know, a domino effect and and I started to see that well, maybe the Bible's not really inerrant after all. You know, maybe there's there's a lot more in this book that that I've been taught that I need to start thinking about. And so I think that's what what it was. And 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 then you know I'm 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 learning a lot more nowadays uh, in the last several months about spiral dynamics, and it has given me a a model of frameworks to to understand what was happening to me. And the spirit of God, I believe, was calling me to evolve in my faith. And uh, many people will resist that call or that, that urge to, to evolve because they feel like it's leaving the faith or, go, or backsliding or slipping, uh, going down the slippery slope into heresy. But I, I answered, I'd, I'd said, okay, wherever you're going to take me, take me. And it only took a few years for me to completely change my mindset about the inclusivity of God's love, and that means everyone, regardless of their background, their culture, their race, their religion, their um, sexual orientations, all this stuff doesn't 
doesn't exclude them from the love of God. Your spiritual evolution, the progression of it is so interesting to me because it's like once you got out of the institutional church, you were giving yourself some permissions to to believe differently than you had, than the institution was telling you to believe. And once you got to the the more relaxed house church model, you learn more about the love of God, that God leads us personally. We don't have to follow a man or a movement. We can be led by the spirit. And that, and that led you into this freedom from the clergy laity mindset. And then Eventually, you get free from the fear of hell. And then once you get free from that, you're allowed to start unpacking your questions concerning the scriptures themselves. And there's this awesome progression that is constantly moving you towards love. And it just sounds like such a beautiful movement of the spirit in your life. But I know from personal experience, uh, structure, establishment, institutions, and um folks who are still living in those mindsets that you've been delivered from can handle that very badly. Was there pushback in your own life and in your church setting in that Anglican church against this move towards love? Oh, was there a pushback? Let's see. Um, the short answer is absolutely. I had been in spiritual direction with one of the Anglican priests. I, I decided I needed to get back in spiritual direction. I had been in spiritual direction many years before uh, from the uh, the pastor of that house church. I'll just, let me go back and talk about that a little bit because it is really kind of formational and helping me to form the ideas of what I felt like God was calling me to in spiritual direction. But when I got involved in the house church, I learned uh, about uh, this pastor and his ministry, which he did not call spiritual direction. He just called it meeting with people, which is what it is anyway. He just called it, I'm meeting with people. And if anyone you, and if one of you want to meet with me, we can do that outside of this, uh, this group meeting. And so I reached out to him and I was, and I wanted to talk to him about some ideas or some questions that I was uh, wrestling with. This is when, when I was, uh, when my wife Elizabeth and I were still engaged. And one of the, one of the, questions that I think I was wrestling with was when we got married, would we go to the Baptist church I was going to, or should we go to the house church? It, it seems like it would be an obvious choice for me, but it wasn't. It was something I was really struggling with. And so he introduced me to the practice of listening prayer, where for the whole hour, we just sit and we'd listen to God. And we, 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 we might bring an idea or a thought or a question, but we just then sit back and listen. And sometimes we would sit and listen for 45 minutes and it felt like, you know, it only felt like it was five minutes, but time just kind of stood still. And at one of those sessions when I was listening to God, I was struggling with this question about church. And I felt like, you know, just as clearly as you and I are talking, Jason, it's, it's, I felt like God said, Chris, you wanted a small family style house church when that was intimate. And this is what I've given you. What more do you want? And I knew at that point, this was the the answer to my question. I knew that we were going to go to this house church when we got married. And then after several months of meeting with um, this pastor, I realized, man, this is a really great ministry that he's doing. I'd never experienced anything like this. And and I feel like this, the Spirit at that point said to me, Chris, you'd be good at this too. I thought, Wow. Maybe this is what God's been calling me to all these years. I mean, at this point, it would it would have been 15 years after I originally felt a call to something. So I, I kind of filed that away. 
never knowing at the time that this was really called spiritual direction. And I then uh, later, when we went to the Anglican church, I, I got back into spiritual direction with uh, the Anglican priest there. And um, this is at the Anglican church was where I realized that this, this ministry is actually an ancient Christian ministry that has been with us for you know, 2000 years or more. And it is called spiritual direction. I never knew that. Okay. This has got, this has a name. Uh, this is a ministry that is not new. Uh, and there are actually schools that teach this. So that's when I kind of, that's when I realized and all the kind of, all the pieces of the puzzle came in and were fit into place. And I realized that God was, was calling me to spiritual direction, but it took, like I said, about 15 years or so before I realized what it was and how it would all look. I don't even know if that was the answer to your question. I kind of got off on a tangent talking about spiritual direction, but um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. You're just, you're just anticipating my next question, but, but let's do finish up on the pushback that you got in the Anglican church. Part of spiritual direction is finding your own truth, finding your own peace, finding where God wants you to be. And sometimes um, the institution or the establishment can take issue with that. And there seemed to be some of that in your own story. So tell us what you went through at the Anglican Church. Yeah. And, and, and for, for a couple of years there, when we were, when things were going really well at the church, I was, you know, I was in spiritual direction on a regular basis, which means monthly. And I was exploring some of these new ideas and, and questions that I was wrestling with, with my spiritual director, who, as I said, was an Anglican priest. And he he allowed me to talk about it and to ask these questions but he would always push back in his answers and in he he would not allow me to go very far he would always push back with well this is what the church has believed for 2000 years chris you cannot you can't venture outside that you're you know if you go down that road that is heresy uh, we have a we have an orthodox system of beliefs here that you know that is consistent. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really believe that at the time. I, I felt like there was that the beliefs of the church had been all over the place in two thousand years. But I didn't argue with him about. It. I just kind of said, okay, and I just listened and I and I took that in. And uh, but I was still wrestling with things. But then I started starting to. I started to say things on Facebook publicly, kind of really getting out into the public. And this was, I guess, the late late 2019 when I started doing this a little bit more and getting more bold about sharing on Facebook. And I was, you know, I was a spiritual director. I had, I had, I was in my spiritual direction training program. So I had already started meeting with directees at the church. So I was in that ministry there. My wife and I were leading a small group, which they called table groups. And uh, my life, my wife later was was uh, elected to the church board, the, the vestry, and so we were really prominent, and and so people were, I guess, uh, unbeknownst to me, really listening to what I said, and it it was uh, Good Friday of of this year, 2020, that I posted a, I said something on Good Friday about what I was, what I really believed about. Um, what was happening on Good Friday and, and what I really believed about uh, what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And it, went, it was something like, you know, we need to stop making God into this angry God who had to punish Jesus on the cross for our sins. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And that 
my friends, is the good news. Now go and tell somebody about this good news today and don't mention anything about sin. You don't have to do anything. You're already included. And it was that line about don't mention anything about sin that somebody finally decided that was not acceptable and I had pushed the limits too far. And so I got called on the carpet about that by the priest who was my spiritual director. And then um, we were called in, my wife and I were called into a meeting with with uh, that priest and and the rector, the head head priest of the Anglican Church, uh, they wanted to talk more about my beliefs and um, to kind of make sure that, or to, to see if I had really ventured, ventured too far outside of orthodoxy. And at uh, the end of the meeting, the rector said to me through, through a trembling voice, you could see there was so much fear in his voice in saying this to me. He said, Chris, that is a different gospel. And I didn't answer anything. I didn't say, well, I disagree with you or okay. Um, I just stayed quiet. And over the next two weeks, a series of uh, email exchanges, the result of that meeting and that in that situation was that I had to give up all of my directees who were working with me that were members of that church. And I could never meet with another member of that church again for spiritual direction. We had to stop leading the table group, the small group. And my wife would end up having to step down from the vestry. And we knew at that time that the table was too small for us there, and we had to walk away. And that was a very difficult situation, um, obviously. Chris, how did that impact you and your wife, your family? Um, It was excruciatingly difficult. Um, There was lots of anger, lots of fear. While my wife and I have been on the same page with this through the whole time, there was still a lot of fear about whether or not she would be willing to go as far as I have gone, uh, as far as my theological understandings. And well, I don't think she's, I don't think she is as far as I have gone. She still supports me and she, she is still beyond really what what that Anglican Church was considering the the right set of beliefs, and so we were in agreement that it was time to walk away. And this was, you know, all on top of the COVID nineteen pandemic, where we're all already in a very difficult situation. And add on top of that, um, we have had a single mother and her two children living with us since early February before the pandemic began. So, I mean, we. We're really in a stressful situation already, and then then this thing happened at church, which just kind of set us over the edge. And it's been a really difficult few months. Uh, it's it's easier now than it, it was than it was um, you know a month or two ago. But uh, we had no choice but to just cut ties with the church and walk away for our own sanity. What is it about the all inclusive love of God that? pushes people to just at, not just reject the doctrine, but reject the people who espouse the doctrine. There's just something about, about, about people, I think, in general that don't, they don't want to accept that there is absolutely nothing that they have to do to earn God's love. Even it, it doesn't matter how much a preacher says that you don't have to do anything to, for God to love you. He loves you unconditionally. We still want to have some part in it. And so when you start stripping away these requirements to to earn God's love, even though they would not call them requirements, like believing the right things, being saved, going to church, 
reading your Bible, um, believing that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God, things like this, then people start thinking, wait a second, it can't be that good. It's just, it does, I don't, that's as far as, I, that's, that's all I know about it. I mean, I, I don't know why people are so resistant other than that they feel like uh, there, there has to be some requirement. Yeah, it almost feels like there's this, you know, the, the idea that we buy into that God is in all control, that the way that God, you know, when you're a clergy member, that as I've been in the past, there's almost this idea of part of my job is to help God stay in control. And if people start thinking for themselves, things are going to get away from us very quickly and they're not going to need the church and they're not going to need the institution. They're not going to need the clergy. They're not going to stick with the Bible. They're not going to hold to the faith as we teach it. And you're right. You know, you you were talking earlier about uh, the church being all over the place for centuries. That's exactly right. I mean, even the councils where they decided some really big theological ideas were going to be the standard, there was disagreement on those councils about those things. It's always been that way. And when people are given the freedom to explore a faith of their own, there's life there, but there's very little control. And I think that's terrifying to those in positions of authority. You're very right. Uh, you know, when, if people don't, don't need to hear what they say or don't need to, to have their list of requirements upon them in order to be a good Christian, then the whole structure of the church falls apart. You know, the, the people who are in this clergy system really do believe that the structure, the hierarchy, the form of what has, what we have built as the church, that is, is the church. They do not see it separate, or they do not see it as the people. It is the, the structure. And when the structure is not needed, that you're right, it, the control is gone, and they, they feel like, you know, th- things are falling apart, and they really they are, they are, and they should be. So as you were leaving the Anglican Church, it seemed like you had a choice to make, whether to just kind of say, you know what, my spiritual direction ministry that was tied to that church, that's over now, or to look for a different avenue to fulfill that calling? Which did you choose? Um, I have decided to, to move my spiritual direction ministry outside of the church. I really had no choice to begin with, but I had really been thinking about doing it even before this um, this blow up at the church. And so this was really the, the thing that was the impetus to just go ahead and do it. And so, you know, now, since I had to give up all of my directees, uh, I only have one directee now that, uh, and he and I are, are exchanging letters in the mail because of this pandemic. But, you know, I decided that I was just going to, I was just going to find directees outside of the church. And then if, if someone from the, from that particular church approached me for spiritual direction, I would, I would say to them, I am more than happy to meet with you. You have to make that choice. Just understand that your rector is not going to support it. But, um, I haven't had to come to that situation yet. You know, I can, I'm, I'm meeting with people. I can meet with people in my home. I can meet with people in public park. I can meet with them online on zoom if they're not even in Knoxville. And I'm, and I'm, I have the freedom now that I'm detached from that church structure that I can add in other ministries as well beyond spiritual direction, like leading silent retreats or guided retreats, leading a labyrinth walk. Uh, there's lots of lo- local Episcopal churches here that have labyrinths on their grounds, and I wanted I want to introduce people to all all these different spiritual practices that they've probably never experienced. 
And I don't think I would have had the freedom to do that had I still been a spiritual director at the church. So let's talk about spiritual direction. What is what is the role of a spiritual director in your understanding? Well, let's see. Spiritual direction, the ministry is is really based on the truth that God is at work in everyone's life, whether they know it or not. And so a spiritual director is a trusted companion on that journey of 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 living life and living the faith journey. As a spiritual director, I listen to my directees' life stories, their hurts, their experiences and hopes and dreams and challenges. And I, and I listen to this all with an ear for discerning the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life. Um, the Holy Spirit is really the true spiritual director in this relationship, and I'm just there to help illuminate her work in someone's life. So can you talk to us practically how you do that? Sure. Some people come to spiritual direction because they have, you know, they have specific life questions that they're wrestling with. And so I would work with them to listen to the stories and listen to the experiences and the questions they have and lead them through some discernment techniques that might help them make sense of of the questions and, and come to some conclusions. I have been pretty heavily influenced by Ignatian spirituality, which is, um, and Ignatius has, is really famous for his rules of discernment. And so I will, you know, work them through some, some, some ideas of, of Ignatian style discernment uh, to help them make a decision. Other people may come to spiritual direction because they, they feel that the spiritual practices that they've used all their lives just aren't working for them anymore. And so, I'll work with them to find out where the blockage is and what, what is keeping them from experiencing God and kind of help free that blockage by maybe doing some, some listening prayer, uh, some contemplative prayer practices to help them experience God's presence anew. So I've, I think there's probably some listeners listening to our conversation right now thinking, you know, I'd really love to have a spiritual director. Chris is way over in Knoxville, Tennessee, and with the COVID pandemic, we can't get together anyway. Is it possible to have a real spiritual direction relationship virtually? It is, and and it is very common these days. Uh, spiritual directors meet with people all over the country and the world. Uh, my own spiritual director, who I've obviously I've had to find a new one since leaving that Anglican church, she is in in South Carolina, and I'm in Knoxville. So we meet on Zoom, and it is it is probably. I would say 99% as good as meeting in person with someone. Ideally, you can meet face-to-face in the same room because then you get to see body language from head to toe, but that's not always feasible. So Zoom is, is an excellent alternative or you know whatever online service you want to use. Telephone is even a, an alternative, although I haven't done it myself. I, I know people who have had spiritual direction sessions just on the telephone, and they say that the freedom of not being face-to-face is actually good for them. They just they can they can sit back and kind of close their eyes and just listen and 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 talk without any fear of what you know of what someone is thinking when they look at them. Who is a good candidate for spiritual direction? What are some of the I don't know characteristics of somebody who would benefit from it? I think that uh, someone who has someone who's had some years under their belt as far as following God. Oh, that's not to mean that that you know I would I would 
specifically exclude meeting with someone who's a new Christian, but I feel like, you know, you've got to have some experience to God, to, of God to, to, to draw from, uh, in a spiritual direction session. So, so really someone who has, um, you know, been a Christian for, for several years at least and, and, and has, um, and, and maybe someone who has finally gotten to the point where they realize, you know, this is just not working for me. Whatever this this is, I've been doing uh, the, bringing the Bible is just not it's not speaking to me anymore. Or or someone who has um, who is in this deconstruction process, which you know, I, I now I now know that the Spirit, I believe, constantly calls us to evolve in our consciousness and our spirituality. And in order to do that, we have to deconstruct old belief systems and reconstruct new belief systems, and we can pull old belief systems with us that still work and still bring us life. But it's a lonely process to go through that by yourself. And so I think having a spiritual director on your side that is there to to kind of walk with you alongside that journey is would that would be a Someone, someone who's going through that process would be an ideal candidate for a spiritual direction. I think that's a lot of the people who are listening to us right now, Chris, and I hope they'll reach out to you. What's the best way for our friends listening today to engage with you and your spiritual direction work online? They can go to my website at steppingstoneslife.com. Uh, they can also email me directly at chris.aker, that's spelled E-A-K-E-R, at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook. I am on Jason's group, the Messy Conversations Facebook group, and I try to stay pretty active in there. So there's several avenues that I can be reached. Friends, we're going to link to all of Chris's uh, contact information, his website. Uh, We'll put his email address in there so you can reach out to him, and uh, we'll link to his social media as well. So you can find him and connect with him and get involved in spiritual direction yourself if you feel called to do that. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so grateful that you've shared with us your story, and I'm so blessed by the progression of spirituality in your own life. I love you, brother. Thanks so much. I love you too. Thank you. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.